Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. So tonight we are continuing our Set Apart series and we're talking about holiness restored. And this series really is um, what the Every Nation leadership family felt is God, what God is saying to us for this year, for 2024. And so we've been pursuing, diving deep into what it means to walk in holiness, what holiness is all about, looking really theologically at what the Bible says about it and how we can apply that in our lives. And um, I'm going to start by just recapping what Pastor Lorico talked about last week, because really these sermons are like side A and side B of the same LP. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's fine. <laughs> but what Rex was preaching about last week was he was talking about, you know, he started with what is holiness? What do we mean by that word? And really what it means is to be set apart. That's where we got the name from, right? It's something that is so different, so other than like God, we use the word holy to describe God because he is so perfect, so different from us that he is holy. It's to be set apart from something. And because God is holy, you know, if there are things that can be used, that can be dedicated unto God, that can then in the, of themselves become holy because they're dedicated to God, right? They're set apart for use. But what happened is, is that we became sinful. And sin and holiness are the opposite of one another. That's the opposite of what holiness is, is sin. And sin can't exist around holiness. But holiness is much more powerful than sin. So if sin comes into contact with holiness, then the sin is going to be destroyed. The holiness will prevail, right? And God's presence will eliminate sin, which is a bit of a conundrum when he wanted to dwell with his favorite part of his creation, which was us, and we in nature became different from God, yeah. that we in nature became sinful. And so Pastor Rico is talking about the system that God created through the law to be able to dwell with his people, to have a means to still have his presence dwelling among us in the temple. And the law really consists of two components. Um, the first are like the, the standards, the things that we need to do, the things we need to avoid doing in order to avoid sin so that we could live up to the holiness that God has in some form so that God's presence could dwell with us, right? How can we avoid sin so that God's presence can still dwell with us? So there were the standards, but there was also the sacrificial system. That was the second part of the law, and that's almost like the penalty system for when you can't live up to the standard, when you mess up on the side, when you don't avoid the thing you're supposed to avoid or do the thing that you're supposed to do, there is a means to pay for that, to make a sacrifice, so that we could atone for messing up in the system. Because the thing about, you know, the system and, and, and the, the law that was given to us was that it couldn't change our nature. It could change our behavior if we followed all of the system, but it couldn't change our nature. Kind of like 
Tarzan dwelling with the apes, right? He could be with the apes for only so long, and, but his nature was human, and so that eventually changed things. The law couldn't change our nature from being sinful. And so then we needed sacrifices to atone for where that sinful nature still sort of came out. We didn't do the things that we were supposed to do. And tonight, we're really going to talk about why the system had to be replaced with a better system, because the system wasn't actually able to restore holiness to us and to make it such that we could dwell with God in the sense of how God created things to be, walking with us. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is how God did restore holiness to us. But then I also want to talk about what it means for us to live that out, because the holiness that God restored to us is a holiness that we can't earn. And we don't always know what to do with that. And we can get messed up around how to live that out. And so I want to talk a little bit more about what it looks like for us to actually live out that holiness. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one that makes us holy, that we can't do it on our own, Lord God, but that even better, that we don't have to now in the same way that we did before because you created a new covenant for us, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that your grace is so bountiful, Lord God, that you can cover over every part of our lives, that your grace is sufficient for all things, Lord. And tonight, as we're looking at what it really means to have holiness restored to us and to walk in that, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would be the one speaking, that it wouldn't be about the slides or about the message, but that it would be the conviction that comes to our hearts, the revelation that comes to our minds, that you would speak about how we can walk in your holiness, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay, so um, before I get to the main scripture, I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about the specifics of Lyrico's sermon. So he was talking about the Day of Atonement, which was kind of like the pinnacle day of sacrifice in the Old Covenant and in the law, in that it was this one day in the year where, you know, people would make sacrifices for themselves for when they sinned, but the Day of Atonement was about where the priest would mediate on behalf of the people of Israel, the people of God, and make sacrifice for the sins of the people, right? And just to summarize, it sort of involved um, the, there would be a bull slaughtered and a goat slaughtered, and the priest would take that blood into the before the throne of God, the most holy place, the mercy seat where God's presence dwelt. He would sprinkle the blood before the throne, put some blood on himself, and then there was a second goat, the scapegoat, over which he would confess the sins of the people, and that goat would be removed from the camp. And so the priest, as the mediator, would both, you know, there would be a sacrifice to pay the price for the sins of the people, and then the sins would also be removed from the people. Those were kind of the two things that happened on the Day of Atonement. But there were problems with like the whole idea of the priests and the lambs and the sacrifice and that it couldn't really do what God had wanted it to do. And the scripture that we're going to look at tonight from Hebrews talks about what some of those problems with the system are. So it says, Hebrews 7, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. 
But he, being Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So this scripture outlines some of the issues with the system, right? The first was that the pro there was a problem with the priests, okay? The priests were the ones to mediate. Oh, it looks weird. Okay, I'm just going to explain. Let's go back. The, the priests were the ones who were going to mediate, right, on behalf of the people. But there were two issues that it's outlined. Let's actually go back to the scripture. The first, in verse 23, it talks about the fact that they were prevented from, by con from continuing in office by death. Priests were finite, okay? And we have to think a little bit about the implications of human mortality, because there were some really incredible leaders that arose in the history of Israel, people like Moses, Samuel, David's, you know, people that could really help lead the people of Israel to follow more of those standards of holiness that were outlined in the law. But then they died, and things start to fall, fall apart again. And no matter how amazing they were, they were, you know, there was only a season at which, in which they were the leaders, or in this case, the priests, and able to mediate on behalf of the people. And so that was one limitation. But the second one, in verse 27, it speaks about how they had to first make sacrifices for themselves before they could make sacrifices for the people. And the issue was that they themselves were also flawed. They themselves were also sinful, right? Even the Moseses and the Davids and the Samuels who had great sin. And so by the very fact that they were also sinful, we couldn't, sin could never be removed from the people of Israel. Sin was always going to exist, no matter how great or how terrible the priests were, because by nature, there was still sin that existed there. So that was the problem with the priests. But there was also a problem with the, the, the lamb, not in the sense of the lamb itself, but in the sense of having to make sacrifice. If The thing with the sacrificial system, we don't really live with it anymore. So for some of us, we don't understand the full cost of it. Some of you may, you know, you may have to buy and slaughter lambs and goats and whatever. But for some of us, we just don't get it at all. But if you think about how many lambs had to die for the people of Israel in terms of making their sacrifices, I mean, if you try to sort of apply that in a real way to yourself, imagine if every single time you didn't follow the word of God, you had to pay 5,000 rand. Like, how real would that become for you, you know? It was unsustainable. But it also didn't really change anybody's behavior. Just because there, were, there was this system, it was more about appeasing the culture and the rules than actually changing your behavior. 
And ultimately what God wanted to do was to have relationship with us, was to dwell with us. And the nature of having a system where we had to pay sacrifices didn't actually enable that. If you think about growing up in your parents' house, if you had to pay money every time you lost your shoes or didn't do the dishes or was late in the morning, I mean, that kind of having to pay for that all of the time, it doesn't really breed that intimate, loving relationship. It, you, there's, there's like mistrust there and just following rules and trying to get out of that system. It's not the kind of relationship that changes your behavior. And I'm sure parents here can agree that it doesn't really change behavior. It's in fact what Jesus did with, with the new covenant was that he shifted the nature of the relationship from relying on our actions to relying on his actions. Like in that example with the parents, that thank goodness our parents love us because of their choice to love us and their kindness and their grace as opposed to ours, right? What Jesus did was that he came, that God decided instead of it being about their ability to live up to the standard, I am going to live up to the standard for them. And he came in flesh to live the perfect life that we should have lived in our place, fulfilling the requirement of the law and the holiness standard that God could dwell with us. He also came to be the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, so that he could then die the death that he did on the cross in our place, paying once and for all for the way that we could not meet the standard. But even more than that, he rose again, proving that the power of his holiness and his life was greater than the penalty of sin, was greater than that death that came from sin. And so he made a way for us to receive new life after death for sin, so that when the penalty had been paid, that we could still have a new life accessible through him. And so the system was replaced, the covenant was replaced with a new covenant that was based on his actions that he did for us. And so it doesn't matter how many times we sin, the covenant still stands because it's based on his actions now and what he did for us. And in that way, he replaced um, that, that system and made a way for new life. He was the perfect priest and the perfect lamb, because he now lives forever. He doesn't have to sacrifice for himself first before he sacrifices for us. It says in verse 26, it's indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And so Jesus came as the perfect priest and the perfect lamb. And it actually speaks about... Oh, that one worked. Anyway, it speaks about in Ezekiel 36, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That this is what God promised and prophesied that he would do, that it's no longer about our following the rules and checking the boxes and doing all of the things that culturally we need to do. It's about the fact that he will actually change our nature from being sinful to being holy. What that means is that from where before we 
um, sort of were attracted to and sought out things that are sinful, that are gratifying of the flesh, that are just temporary and short-lived, that we have a change of nature and we no longer want those things in our lives, that the things that are attractive to us are things of the kingdom, intimacy with God, feeling his presence, knowing him in worship, that Yeshua moment that we had, you know, that those are the things that then make us come alive and that he changes us. And um, I want to give an example of sort of what this looks like when how this holiness really changes our nature. It, it's a story that I actually don't think I've ever shared from this forum, but I was talking to Zach about this a couple of weeks ago, just as like remembering this very cringeworthy part of my life. And when, we, when I was doing some sermon prep, he reminded me of this example in this story as like um, a way that <laughs> the mercy of God is demonstrated. So this is probably nine or ten years ago, but I, um, at that time, had a group of friends that they were not Christians, but, you know, we would hang out, have a good time, and through this group of friends, I met a guy. And all good stories start like that. And um, anyway, so this this. You know, we, we, were, we were getting along and we started chatting and started talking over WhatsApp and it literally became like talking for hours every day. I know you all know how this goes. Talking for hours every day, talking philosophies and life and whatever, whatever. And as would happen, I started to develop feelings for this person because that's what happens when you spend so much time with somebody. Um, and I remember, I don't know if it was you, Rex, or if it was Pastor Mike, but one of the guys that I was working with at church was asking me, because this guy was not a Christian, right? Is it such a good idea to be spending so much time with this person? You know, he's going to probably influence you. Things are going to happen. And I was like, no, it's totally fine. Nothing to be worried about. Totally platonic. Just if somebody that's a Christian that's older than you gives you a warning. Just listen to it. Just take a moment to listen. Don't immediately dismiss it. They may be wrong, but just take a moment, right? Anyway, so yeah, you learn. You live and learn. Um, so this guy, I mean, like I said, he wasn't a Christian, but he had grown up charismatic. He was raised in Assemblies of God. And he had decided sort of as a teenager at some point that it was all propaganda and that he didn't believe it anymore. And what that meant was that even though, you know, he, we didn't believe in the same things, I could be myself around him. He understood me. He understood my culture. He understood my values. And I decided one night to have this guy over for dinner at my house because that's a very good idea. So... <laughs> Praise the Lord that he saved me. Um, anyway, we, we, I had this guy over for dinner, and we end up talking about the fact that we were like sort of admitted to one another that we had feelings for each other, and talking about the fact that we both like each other. And he said this thing to me that night that I promise you was the Holy Spirit. He didn't know it, but it was. Um, he was. He was saying, like, you know, if we did start dating, if something did happen here, it doesn't bother me, the whole, like, not having sex thing and physical boundaries. Like, that doesn't bother me at all, you know? That's all good. But what I do think would happen is that you would probably walk away from your faith because that's al almost always what happens with Christians. And it really struck me what he said. 
didn't change any of my behavior at that time, but I remembered it, and I still remember it to this day. I wish that it had, you know, changed something in the moment. But anyway, God tried again. About a week later, I was at church, and um, yeah, it wasn't long. It wasn't long, but it was, I was at church. It was during the morning services. I think it was Valentine's Day, and so they were doing a relationship series in the morning services. I remember Pastor Roger was preaching, and he was preaching specifically in that moment. He was talking to married people, and he was talking about emotional infidelity. When you have a relationship with somebody that's not your spouse, it's not physical, but they have an emotional access to you and your life that they shouldn't. And it was like the scales fell from my eyes. Like I suddenly saw that I was treating this person like my boyfriend, even when I was saying that they weren't and telling myself that there was nothing dangerous and that there was nothing going on and that it was all fine and all safe. But in reality, it wasn't like that. And it was, I could suddenly see it for the first time in a way that I couldn't see it beforehand. And that is because of the Holy Spirit that comes to speak to us, right? And comes to reveal things to us. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And I, you know, like, I don't know, a couple days later, told this guy, like, listen, we're done. Like, I'm not talking to you anymore. This is not a good idea. <laughs> Very glad that that was not how my life went. But the point is that what God's plan for holiness is not that we would have like a checkbook that we just follow because I promise you knowing the rules didn't stop me from doing what I did. Holiness restored is about the fact that God wants to change our nature by being in relationship with us so that when there are things in our lives that are leading us down the wrong path that he can say that to us and wake us up to see those things and that we can respond to that. And that is what holiness restored is about. And I wouldn't have received that revelation if I was just trying to abide by the rules. But it was because I was pursuing relationship with Jesus. I was still praying and reading the Bible and going to church and engaging with other Christians that God was able to show me where there was sin in my life, to show me where there was something that was going to remove or not remove, but diminish my relationship with him, diminish my holiness, right? And that that's what holiness restored is about. It's about that internal presence of God that can lead us onto the right path. And if your relationship with God at lately or even up until this point has been about trying to know the good things that you need to do, then you're missing what the holiness restored thing is about. That it's not just about the things that you should do, that God wants you to know his presence and to feel his voice speaking to you to save you from those situations. If you are talking to somebody every day on WhatsApp and they are not a Christian, you are going to end up in the situation that I was in, right? That, that we need God to guide us in that and to lead us. The second thing that I wanted to talk about was about what do we do with this holiness that cannot be earned? Because we don't always know how to receive this gift from Jesus. We don't always know exactly how to walk it out. Um, and to, to explain this point, I want to start with a bit of an analogy. So go with me. Imagine that in our country, school and education was really, really not accessible for most people. That it was very, very, very limited. That in fact, maybe there were one or two and you had to be part of the right family in order to get in. Like maybe Gupta family or something like that. And you had to be of the, the, this right name to get in 
And even if you did get in, there was, it was really, really expensive. And so for like 90% of the population, we were living in sort of an underdeveloped, rural type of way because we didn't have access to education. In that type of situation, I'm sure that many of us would want to, either for ourselves or for like our younger brothers and sisters, our children, we would do whatever we could to try and give opportunity for them to receive a better life, to access this, this education. And what I was just saying about what Jesus did was that he, you know, as the perfect priest, would be the person who could access on our behalf and could then pay the price, could give them like a blank check that let's say has your younger brother's name on it for them to access all of the schooling and the education that they need, right? In that example, you would want your younger brother to fully receive the gift that they were given, to take everything that God had given to them and be like, you can go and develop and live an amazing life. Hopefully that can also benefit some of us, right? You can help us as a family as well. But what you wouldn't want is a situation where like your brother, after you know attending the schooling and Let's just ignore your school that you went to. Let's say it was a really amazing, brilliant school, right? Receiving all of the things that they needed to, to then come back to where the family lives and be like, yeah, I'm not interested, you know, in a better life. Like, I'm happy here. I'm happy with this, this stuff. Just struggling along with the rest of you. It would feel wrong. It would feel like they didn't really use the gift that God had given them. Or... Even like after a year of being in there to be like, I don't need this actually, you know, I'm good. Same feeling of feeling like, no, but you have this opportunity. You have this thing that God gave you. What if your brother decided after being in the school that they've really realized how awful the world is and this city is, and they decide that they're going to go live on an island by themselves, have no worries, not worry about anybody else, that would also feel like they're not using the gift that was given to them because by nature of them having received this gift, it feels a bit like you should see the benefit of it as well, at least somewhat for that person in their life or for your family. And so this way of responding to the gift, we do things like this when it comes to holiness, where we, we can fall back into thinking even after some time you know, those things that God cut out of my life, I actually don't think that they were that bad, you know? And I'm gonna allow things in my life again because it's just easier, it's just better than trying to do this thing, you know, than trying to pursue relationship with God. I'm just gonna let stuff in my life that I know probably shouldn't be there because it's easier, because I think I can do it on my own, because I think that I know enough now about how I should be living out this holy life that it doesn't really matter if I do things that, you know, are really familiar to the world as well and not actually living set apart because that's what holiness means, that your life is set apart. But sometimes what we do is when we're thinking about how to pursue holiness, sometimes we go in the other side where it's like, I don't want anything to anything that resembles sin to influence me, to come into my life, and so I'm gonna withdraw from the world, and I'm gonna withdraw from other people, and I'm gonna only spend time with people that I'm very, very similar to me, and I'm very, very comfortable with, because then I don't have to worry about any sin entering my life. And we can become aloof, and like inaccessible to the world. And earlier this year, I was 
you know, when we were doing the week of prayer and fasting, I felt like this was something God said to us, that it's Jesus was the least aloof person. He was the most accessible person in his holiness that for prostitutes and for lepers and the outcasts of society, but also for the tax collectors, the priests, the, the wealthy in society, that he was accessible to all of them, but he was still different to all of them, that his life was still set apart. And sometimes when we think about the gift of holiness that we've received, we don't quite know what it means to be holy and be in the world, right? And so we don't really know what to do with the gift that God has given us, and so we either sort of abandon parts of it to try and feel more like the world, or we withdraw from the world because we don't know what to do with it. Holiness is meant to, it's meant for a purpose, and that purpose is that when we're doing things on the world, right, that our holiness makes those things different to how other people do those things, so that when you're doing good works, that people don't just see good works, but that they see your Father who is in heaven through your good works. That before, before sin came into the world, we had purpose, right? We were meant to, it wasn't by accident that you were put on the earth and God was like, oh well, better take dominion. It was an instruction that we were given because he had purpose for us on the world, that we're meant to invent and build and love and create and have families and all of these things in such a way that brings glory to him. And so what holiness, how we live it out, is that we still do those things, but in such a way that is different to the world, that people will look at your works and see your Father who is in heaven and not just see a good person. That it's meant to be that you, you, your, your life is different, that you pray about business decisions before you make them, that you, you aren't dishonest even if it's going to cost you financially, that you don't accept a bribe, that there's the way that you live your life that people will see it, that you're not hiding your lamp under the table, that you're very clearly other than the world. So when holiness comes into your life, this is our challenge and this is what we need to do that we need to focus on our purpose being matched with holiness so that revival can come, so that people can see God and have the choice to respond to him, that there is something that's about how we live that is confrontational to the world, that shows them that there is something different out there. There is a God who does things differently, and there is a holiness that we can access so that the world has that opportunity. But the last thing I want you to do is to look at this and leave this message thinking about the way that you need to be better at purpose and be better at holiness, right? Because then, once again, it's coming back to that religious mindset of how I need to follow the rules and do the things in order to make this happen. So how do we do this? We do it by grace. What does that mean? What, what do we mean when we say we do it by grace? Because it's a really nice saying, and I'm sure everybody says it. You know, grace, grace. What does that actually mean? When we do something by grace, what it means is instead of pursuing the end goal, instead of pursuing the thing, right, like holiness, in my own effort, grace is that I recognize it's not going to happen in my own effort. So instead of trying to do it in my own effort and pursue the end goal, I pursue relationship with Jesus because I know that he is going to be the one to make it happen. Yeah. 
That's what grace is about. Instead of me trying to do it and me trying to figure it out, I'm focusing on the relationship with Jesus because that's the only way that it's going to happen. That's the Ezekiel 36. I will put a new heart and a new spirit in you, and I will teach you to walk in my commands and obey my rules. It only happens by pursuing relationship with Jesus. That instead of focusing on my actions, that when I'm pressing into my relationship with God, that that's when that can happen. And that that's how I receive revelation. That's how I receive conviction. Sorry. I'm getting all worked up. Um, grace is about us focusing on the relationship with God instead of focusing on the thing that we feel God telling us to do. And that's the way that we can end up being modern-day Pharisees. When, for example, if God tells you that, there's, um, that you need to work at a particular company or in a particular field, and you're doing that thing, you're obeying God's instruction, but how you're doing it, you're grumbling, you're complaining, you hate it there, you want things to change, you're just waiting for this thing for the next season to come, you're not doing any of the instruction of God in relationship with God. And so there's no opportunity for your actions to allow people to see your God that's in heaven and have that revival moment. And so how we walk out our purpose, the holiness being expressed part, is that we're doing this in a way that's like Jesus. What, what, do, what does it make, um, what, what should I be doing today? What does it look like for you to be glorified in how I do things today? Jesus, I have to figure out this meeting. I have to figure out this presentation. And of course, it's not like a moment by moment you stop people in a meeting and you're like, wait. I mean, if that's what God is telling you to do, then you should do that, right? You should do the thing that God's telling you to do and, and be led with how he's leading you. But it is also about us acknowledging him and pursuing him and even being bold enough to say that in places, to say, well, you know, I was praying about this client and this is what I felt we should do. That that's where the grace component comes in, is that every part of our life that we're trying to figure out how we walk out our holiness by pursuing relationship with Jesus. An example of this from Jesus' life, Matthew 12. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man who was there was with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Just a reminder here that in the law, people got stoned for doing things on the Sabbath, right? So that's why they were asking this question. It was a very serious thing. And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take a hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. That Jesus didn't just heal a man in the back of the synagogue and move on. That the way that he expressed his purpose was such that that holiness component came out. He was different to the other priests and the other believers and the other Jewish people. That the way that he did things expressed that there is something other than that you can also encounter. And it enabled people to see the Father. And that's how we're supposed to live out our holiness. That's how we're supposed to walk in the purpose that God has for us. So as we're closing tonight, I think that 
we do have to confront the idea of, have I, do I believe that God really has restored holiness to me? Do I believe that this is accessible for me every day and that it's not about my actions? It's not about my abiding by the rules. Do I know that Jesus is with me, that he has given me a new heart and a new spirit? And if you're here and you're not 100% sure of that, then this is that opportunity to just receive it because that is how you access it. It is about turning away from the way that we lived our lives before because it is still true that sin is the opposite of holiness. It is still true that if we continue to allow sin in our lives, that it will lead us away from the holy life that God wants us to live. We do have to separate and walk away from those things. And so receiving Jesus' holiness starts with that. And it happens multiple times <laughs> that when there is, are things in our lives, and maybe it's not about overall the life change for you, but like my example with that guy, maybe there is a, something in your life that God is speaking to you about that you need to walk away from, that we need to turn away from that thing and turn to Jesus and receive his holiness and receive his grace and forgiveness and say that I'm not going to pursue this on my own without you, that I need you, Jesus, to do this with me, to be my Lord and Savior, to be in close relationship, walking with me. But the other thing that we need to consider is what are you doing with the holiness that God has given you? How are you walking out that gift? Do you allow that holiness in your purpose, in the things that you're doing? And how can you, in relationship, do that better? Not the checklist and the routines and the way that we like beat ourselves with a stick, but how can I, in relationship with Jesus, rely on him more? How can I eliminate some of my self-reliance, eliminate some of my isolation from God's goodness and his mercy and turn to him and receive what he wants to do? And so I'm going to pray for us now. And if, if those things resonate with you, then you, this is your opportunity to do business with God. I'm not going to call you to stand or anything, but I do want us to pray together. So let's pray. And yeah, Greg, you can come up and pray with me. Thank you, Father. Jesus, we're so grateful that this is not about us. <laughs> We're so grateful, Jesus, that no matter how good or bad or dumb or clever or whatever we are, that Father, no matter how weak and poor our ability to do good on our own, that you came, that you changed the covenant from being based on our actions to being based on your actions, your merciful, good actions, that you restore justice by satisfying the sacrifice needed for the price of sin, but you extended mercy by giving us new life that we could live in you. And so I want to pray firstly for people that are in that space where they do need they do need to walk away from sin in their life. Jesus, we surrender to you. We surrender to you. We don't want sin to take us away from holiness, to make it harder for us to hear your voice, to feel your presence. Holy Spirit, if there is sin in our life, we pray that you'd convict us, that that's the mercy of God, that you reveal sin to us and you draw us back into relationship with you. 
And so, Jesus, we come before you and we do surrender. We do surrender, Lord. We ask that you would work in us right now, that by grace that you would enable us to say no to those things, to cut off things that need to be cut off, to stop listening to voices that we shouldn't be, stop watching things that, that, that we shouldn't be, that we want to walk according to your way. And I pray that in doing that, that Holy Spirit, you would give us grace with how we walk out this holiness so that we wouldn't be doing it separated from the world or too like the world. Help us with this tension of being holy in an unholy world, Lord God. Allow us, Lord, to understand how in this week, in this month, right now, we can let our holiness influence our purpose and let our light shine before men that they would see our good works and know our Father who is in heaven. We don't want to be afraid. We don't want to be, um, yeah, uncourageous, Lord God, and, and not allow the goodness of what you've done to speak through our lives. So we ask for your grace, Jesus. We want to be people that turn and walk with you, that rely on you every single day. Come, Holy Spirit.